Hey everybody, welcome to The Favorite Show, the podcast where we talk about our favorite things. Every week we'll pick a different topic to discuss, and since best can be subjective, we talk about the things that are our favorites. My name's Aaron, no Shannon, and no Sean, but... Kristen here. <laughs> and Adam here as well. Hey! Gotcha hey. both. <laughs> we usually have a couple of chorus of hey! hey. <laughs> That's just you, Aaron. That's just me, yeah. Oh uh, yeah, Kristen, Adam, welcome to the show. This worked out great, uh, as we were talking about just a little bit ago, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, I don't have any emails or updates to read, but before we get to this week's topic, do you guys have anything you want to talk about from previous topics we've done before we jump into this week? Um, I don't know. Um, it was kind of good timing. Uh, I think you guys mentioned on like the TV shows for young children. We just got back from a three-week road trip where we went out to Utah and Nevada and Idaho. And we were just visiting family. But it was perfect because our first huge, you know, 14-hour day of driving was the day that your Pokemon episode came out. Nice. And I think two of my kids both had Pokemon shirts on and Felicity had like her Pokemon handbook. And it was, they were all very excited. Good. I'm glad the timing was was good on that. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you, you guys have had some really good episodes lately. I don't know if I have much to add, really. Just uh, it's always fun to listen. And uh, yeah. Well, I well I haven't finished the listening to the the country and folk artists episode yet, but I did want to pipe in with two of my favorites. Uh, one is Gordon Lightfoot. I don't know if you guys mentioned him, but he's one of my favorite. Dad kind of, does. Does he? Oh, awesome! <laughs> That's great. Gordon no, Lightfoot, love great. him. Yeah. And then Garth Brooks, number one favorite country singer of all time, and actually just just went to his concert in Las Vegas, which was part of the reason we took this long trip out west. That's pretty cool. He was fantastic. He was fantastic. Loved awesome. it. Awesome. Glad to hear it. Oh, <laughs> I guess the TV shows for young children. Are you going to do like a favorite theme song episode? Yes. I want to do a theme song one for sure. Because I'm trying to think of how it started. Well, uh, one of us just yesterday started singing the Gummy Bears theme song. Oh, yeah. And Aurora was like, what is this? that and we explained it she's like can we watch it and we totally did we pulled up our disney plus and we watched an episode and then from there we just watched the opening song of like five or six different shows <laughs> we're, we're like you kids don't even know oh. this was like the the prime time of opening songs for kids cartoons anyway. oh man 80s and 90s yeah had some awesome awesome theme songs for shows that's gonna be a big topic when we do that because there's so many great tv show theme songs out there heck yeah love it it'd be a good one well, sweet. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I guess with those out of the way, then we can jump into this week's topic, which is our favorite sci-fi novels. And it's funny, I, I mentioned this before we started rolling here, but uh, I've got my spreadsheet of all of our topics and stuff. And uh, whenever people email in or, or even talk to me in person and, and suggest a topic, I'll, I'll add their name next to it and kind of, you know, bold it to try and prompt us to get to the topic since it was actually suggested. And I realized looking at the thing, I had a big, bold Adam right next to this one. So <laughs> <laughs> At some point, you you emailed in and recommended this, so uh, so it's fitting that you're here. Then this is very I good. I appreciate the invite, <laughs> and it's also funny because we've done sci-fi other things on other topics. We've done sci-fi movies, we did sci-fi TV shows, and and uh, oddly enough, some of the the ones I have on my list are ones we already talked about, like movies based on books. Uh, which of course sci-fi is kind of a prime ground to get these stories from. But yeah, sci-fi novels, our favorite sci-fi novels. And uh, I guess just to get things rolling here, I'll jump in with my uh, favorite or what, my, my first favorite here, which actually probably is one of my favorite books of all time. Everybody knows I'm I'm Mr. You know Lord of the Rings. I love the fantasy stuff. And uh, but this sci-fi book is one of my favorite books of all time, and it's Ready Player One. I had Ready Player One on my list too. Nice. Have you read it, Kristen? I have not. It's um, I haven't been reading as much these last few years. Like, um, I don't have a ton to contribute to today's episode. Uh, fantasy is, I think, more my genre. But I, I, I let Adam take the fantasy episode, <laughs> which I, I kick myself over because the reason I did is Adam over the last few years, like the opposite. He reads all the time, and he has read so much over the last little bit, and so I was like, oh yeah, I'll let Adam talk about books just because he reads more lately. <laughs> but looking back, I'm like, I've read 
fantasy since I was like eight years old and I have so many. Anyway, so I wanted to be involved in this episode, even though I don't have quite as much to contribute. But yeah, sci-fi, Adam is all over that. Gotcha. Nice. Well, I mean, we may have to do a little addendum episode at some point of you <laughs> filling us in on. I, I think we covered most of your favorites from fantasy, but anyway. We'll, we'll have to update that. But back to Ready Player One. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Ready Player One. So, I I love this book. I highly recommend it. The audiobook version is excellent. It's read by Will Wheaton, and it's really, really good. Really? Yeah. He does He does a great job. It's a great, great book and a great reading. There is language. So, you know, however you respond to that, everyone's different. But uh, I think the story is so cool. So, the story takes place in the year 2045 it's a it's a dystopian future which makes me sad because it's not that far off but (laughs) but the the world in 2045 is kind of in crisis because there is an energy crisis with the depletion of fossil fuels there is uh, global warming there is uh, you know corruption in the government and downfall of governments and just everything is kind of rotten and in this world, there is an online virtual reality game, sort of I game in, in quotations, called The Oasis. And it was created by James Halliday, who is a game designer in, in this story. And he created this virtual reality game, but really it's kind of expanded into this like online reality, basically. There are hundreds and thousands, I think, of, of planets and, you know, shopping and all these things you can do, school, all this stuff that exists in the virtual world and online space. And because the real world is kind of extra crummy at this point, lots of people go to the Oasis for their kind of, you know, their, their, like I said, their school, their shopping, their recreation, all that stuff, because it's just the virtual world is just better than the real one at this point. And James Halliday dies. Uh, this is like first chapter. This is no no spoilers at all. First chapter. <laughs> James Halliday dies. He's old and he, of course, is like a multi, you know, hundred, hundreds of billions of dollars and, you know, creator of the most successful, uh, you know, online experience ever. He dies and he places in the Oasis an, an Easter egg where basically he, there's a video that pops up the day after he dies and he says, I have placed an Easter egg, a secret thing in my game. And it's a series of quests you got to go through and all that sort of thing. And if you get the Easter egg, you inherit all of my riches, control of the Oasis, you know, dominant ownership role in my company that owns the Oasis, like all this stuff. It's like this huge, crazy thing. Oh, billionaires. <laughs> I, I know, right? <laughs> it feels a little too real. <laughs> Anyway, so there are these guys that call themselves Gunters that are like solely devoted to searching for Halliday's egg in the game in this virtual world. And the main character in the in the story is Wade Watts, who is a high school student who is very poor and lives in kind of the slums of Oklahoma City. And he has a horrible home life and he's going to high school online. And that's all I'm going to tell you about it because the rest of the story goes on from there and has some cool twists and turns. The other thing that makes this story really fun is that it is so packed to the gills with 80s and 90s, mostly 80s, pop culture references. When Halliday dies and sends everyone on this quest to find the Easter egg, so many people are going throughout the game to try and find like, well, he loved this Atari game and that Atari game, and he loved this these movies that are these cult classics from the 80s, and he loved this 80s music and this whatever, and so the whole story is just packed full of all these awesome references, and uh, so there's definitely some heavy nostalgia involved for me, you know, remembering some of this fun stuff that I I, I knew as well. And uh, anyway, I think it's a great, great story. I saw the movie. I didn't think the movie was as great. Me personally, that's my opinion. Uh, I didn't. I, the movie was fun, but it, it didn't live up quite to the the level of of the the novel. So, like I like I said, highly recommend it, and the audiobook version as well. Super good. Yeah, I would agree on the movie uh, as well. It was not quite as good. I saw the movie first, and then I read the book, and then I rewatched the movie. And I'm like, yeah, it wasn't as good. It wasn't good as the book. The book was definitely better, and that's usually the case, right? The book is almost always better than the movie. But what I what I think really stuck out to me about the the story is that it, first of all it only came out in 2011 the book was only written just a few i i always thought that these dystopian ones set in the the far future like 2045 <laughs> what was uh were were like written back in like the 70s and 60s when it seemed like it was actually a long ways away and you could achieve all these these scientific advances but 
the, the big thing about this is that it, this could happen. I mean, we were just talking about uh, uh, the meta. Yeah, the Quest 2 is the is the, head, the VR headset right. that I have, and there's a few out there. <laughs> right. I mean, there's virtual reality is starting to become a thing. Like, it's, it's something that is being pushed for a lot. And I could see this happening, like getting to that point. Hopefully not the, you know, dystopian riddled by war and governments owning everything <laughs> yeah. kind of. Preferably not that. <laughs> not that part. But the, the virtual reality, the technology isn't so far advanced that we're, you know, it's not laser swords and, and spaceships. It's, you know, virtual reality that it permeates everyone's life, which is very feasible in the next 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I need to check it out. I did see the movie, not read the book. And holy cow, yeah, the, the number of pop culture references just like visually <laughs> in it. Like that was like that big battle at the end. I don't know if that's in the book or not. But like in the movie, it's like all these anime characters and like you get the Iron Giant and you get like just all these like fun things. Yeah. And I can only imagine like, yeah, the, the book must be so fun. There are definitely video games he talks about in the book that I was like, oh, what is this? That sounds cool. And I went and looked them up or like even downloaded them to, to like <laughs> try and play them. I was like, that's super cool. This game from, you know, 1982 or whatever. <laughs> so it's it's a lot of good stuff. That is fun. So um, one of the things that I really love about sci-fi, some of the books that are my favorites are the ones kind of like that, where it's like, this is possible. This is something that I could see happening, you know, like with my kids or maybe their kids, like in the not so distant future. So a, a series that I want to talk about is The Uglies written by Scott Westerfeld. I don't know if you've heard of it, Aaron. I have, yeah. In fact, it was... What what year was it? It was a while back when we had our family book club that somebody, maybe it was you. It was you. Had that on the list. <laughs> I, I read it from that. Yeah. That's right. You did. You put it on the oh, list. And, yeah. I managed to forget that. Sorry. <laughs> no, all good. It was a, <laughs> well, I think it was, it was a while. Just, it, was, it was the Aaron and Adam book club for That's a while. That's true. No, yeah, That's right. We, we started out as the whole family. I think, yeah, me and you, Adam, were the only people who actually finished everything. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Carry on. <laughs> no, it's okay. So this was a book published in 2005, originally a trilogy, and then he came out with a fourth one as kind of a sequel to the first three. And then I just read on Wikipedia today that he actually came out with a companion series that I think deals with like uh, one of the other characters or something. Like I can't remember now, but there's more in this u- in this uh, universe that I want to go check them out now. Anyway, but the, the, the first three books, Uglies, Pretties, and Specials, follows the life of this teenager named Tally Youngblood. And I like this book series. It's just, it's another one of those kind of dystopian futures. It's not like the end of the world, but you know, there was some catastrophic third world war that kind of put a dent in the world's population and people have kind of got their act together finally. And so people live in these cities where instead of living in family units, they're kind of separated by age. So couples do get married and have kids and they raise the kids as littles. But then once they become teenagers, they're labeled as uglies and they go to school like these dormitory style. And there they live until they're 16, where everyone, everyone in society undergoes the surgery to make them pretty, where they'll go through and they'll just change everything that you don't like about yourself and they'll make everyone you know, beautiful. And then from there, they have everything they need. They don't want for anything. They just kind of live this life of luxury. And then when they get old enough, then they get like jobs and they can get married and then they retire and everyone just has this like perfect life. But this first book, The Uglies, follows this girl named Tally. And she's one of the last kids in her group to turn 16. So she's ugly longer than the others. And it's how she meets this other girl who she wants to stay ugly. She doesn't want to undergo the surgery. And so she decides she's going to run away. And there's this other group living out in the wild. And that's kind of the premise of the book is her friend runs away and then she gets recruited to like go out and find her friend and these rebels because they're like a danger to this perfect society that they've built. And anyway, it's just a lot of the science and the technology in the book are things that I could totally see our society doing because, you know, we're so obsessed with celebrities and like actors, models, and we're supposed to look a certain way. And it's a little bit more on women than men. But I mean, everyone really, I mean, you have that perfect ideal body image that you strive for and that everyone wants. And in the fourth book, uh, it deals with a different character in this universe, but some of the technology, like they have basically like a cell phone, but it's like embedded 
in their face more or less where it's like they have a, a screen that pops up in front of their eyes and they like blink and do different hand motions to like switch who they're calling or texting and they can like ping their friends and stuff and it's like kind of out there but at the same time I'm like uh, who knows maybe we'll have the next iPhone <laughs> embedded in your arm or something. I, I Who hope, knows? I hope not. I mean, there are companies, you know, like Neuralink that are working on, well, not not exactly iPhones embedded in our eyes, but that same idea of integrating technology within the human brain. And mm-hmm. like, there's potential for really cool applications like, you know, people being able to control or manipulate a prosthetic limb mm-hmm. just by thinking about it and moving mechanical fingers or something with your brain, which is super cool stuff. Yeah. But yeah, it's not a big leap to go from that to, you know, just having your heads up display of your computer in your in your brain and on your eyes at all times and stuff. So. I think I think that really good science fiction is plausible enough that you you can believe that this could happen. Yeah, it's like, oh, man, that could actually that could actually be possible. I mean, how many of our current technology advancements were first seen in like a Star Trek episode in the 60s? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, right? totally. I mean, it's just so it's it's I love it when it yeah it's just plausible when it seems like it happened it could happen yeah totally it's it's one of the things I really like about Ready Player One and it's one thing I liked about Uglies too I think they did a really good job of making that leap of like well this is our science now this is where we could potentially be going and here's this this crazy idea that well you know maybe it could you never know so it's wild well, I have I have a one that kind of goes completely different than the other two. It's called uh, All Systems Red, but the subheading of it is called The Murderbot Diaries. Hmm. And basically what it is, it's a story and it's it's relatively recent. Uh, Martha Wells wrote it and it's a series about a murderous security robot who has managed to hack its own governing module so that it's become self-aware so it could kill everyone and murder everybody but all it really just wants to do is be left alone to watch its tv shows (laughs) (laughs) so he love that (laughs) so Murderbot, Murderbot is what he calls himself uh, in when he's referring to himself in in his his diaries or his uh, kind of internal monologue that you read through. He always calls himself Murderbot, but he doesn't let anyone else know that's what he calls himself. Um, and he, he's very good at pretending like he hasn't hacked his governor module, but it just follows him, as, or I say him, it's it, it, as it goes through being a security bot and just, just basically just trying to do the least amount that it can do to get by so that it can just sit and ignore everything else and just watch its TV shows in peace. I love that. That's it's, so great. It's so fun. It's it's <laughs> funny. It's it's very it's a very human characteristic when you think about what a lot of us do in the evening decompress and all the streaming services nowadays that's always doing is just streaming shows <laughs> all the time. He's like, fine, I guess I'll go back to work. You know, I could kill everybody if I wanted to, but I'm not going to because I would just rather. It's too much work. It's too much work. Oh, that's funny. anyway. But, that, but that's one of my that's one of my new favorites. It's a relatively short read. I read the first one, you know, in like a day or two. And there's uh, several more that, that continue to come out. And I think there's I think there's five at this point. Um, and uh, they're still coming. So. It's a good one to, to pick up. Good series. I'll check it out. I've never heard of that. And it sounds really good. I'll definitely take a look. The next one I want to mention is a book by Michael Crichton, which, of course, he's got a ton of books that are great sci-fi stuff. For sure. But the one I wanted to mention that we haven't talked about before, <coughs> Jurassic Park, <laughs> oh, okay, is The Andromeda Strain. Okay. Oh, yeah. Have you guys read this one? Have you heard of this one at least? I believe I have. I have not, but Jurassic Park was on my list. So Yes, Jurassic Park's on my list as well. The only reason I didn't jump on that one, even though it's absolutely... Absolutely one of my favorites is because we've talked about it like multiple times. So. Uh, right. <laughs> but it's fine. It's fine. We can talk about stuff multiple times. Um, but the Andromeda strain. So I I didn't realize this until I was doing research for the episode that the Andromeda strain was written in 1969. What? I don't know. What? Like, really? not that that was like crazy long ago, but it feels like Michael Crichton, like Jurassic Park was in 1990 that he was writing that book. And like he worked on a lot of like action adventure, you know, movie type of type of projects as well as his writing, you know, into the 90s and and 2000s he he passed away in 2008. But yeah, 1969. I don't know why that's like He was only like, 27. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it says it was oh. his 6th novel overall, but it was his, wow. the first one under his own name. 
anyway, I thought that was very interesting. Uh, but th- this is another story that feels a little bit too real, especially now that we're in this post-COVID world. <laughs> so it's all about the outbreak of a deadly extraterrestrial microorganism in Arizona. So the book starts out, the first chapter is that there's uh, an Air, to- Air Force team that has been deployed to recover a military satellite that returned to Earth. The satellite like crashed in the desert of Arizona near some small town. This Air Force crew is supposed to go and recover it and contact is lost with them. So then some other people that are like, oh, we're the people they call in when things get tough, you know, like show up to this this town and find everybody in the town is dead. But not from like the impact of the satellite that made a big explosion or something. Everyone's just dead right where they were in most cases, Mm. like, you know, still sitting at the breakfast table or sitting in their car or at, in their office, you know, where, wherever they were. It's like everyone just suddenly was dead, except two people are in this town. There is an old man and a baby, and these two have survived. And they're like polar opposites, right? The baby is so young, like it's crying, and, and that's how they find this baby. The old guy is like this cranky, old, cantankerous guy, like has poor health and all that sort of thing. These two are the only ones that survive. So they take these two, they like quarantine the whole area. They take these two back to a secret lab and start studying this, this strange micro or extraterrestrial micro, micro, but it's a mouthful, extraterrestrial (laughs) microorganism that don't say that five times fast because it's impossible. (laughs) Um, They take it back to like this secret lab and then, you know, it starts to mutate and stuff goes weird and I won't say any more to spoil the story, but I think it's a really, really good read. And I first read it back when I was probably in high school or something. Maybe Nolan had a copy. Somebody had a copy at our house and I, I read it and it's really, really good. And you know, maybe hits a little close to home now, but it was it was a good one. They did make a movie of it. I don't remember if it was like a, a straight-to-video movie or whatever. It didn't feel like a very – it wasn't great. <laughs> I'll, just leave, I'll just leave that alone there. It wasn't great. It could potentially be a very good movie. Not but, to be on the favorite yeah. show of movies. I know. Yeah, it's not It's not my favorite sci-fi movie. But, yeah, the book is really, really good. And, and I feel like – again because like it's such a great book and it it does have it was well received but i think just because michael Crichton is so well known for jurassic park and you know some of his, his other stuff he's written sometimes maybe this this story gets buried a little bit but it's really good i highly recommend it i thought i had read it but i now realize i haven't and you've definitely piqued my interest i want to go and read this one now i i remember reading the sphere i think is when i was thinking of when you said that oh gotcha yeah, Michael Crichton. it's really good. And, and you know, because it's Michael Crichton, I'm sure you could go to any bookstore and pick up a used, you know, oh, paperback yeah. copy for 50 cents or something. <laughs> for sure. Just because of the nature of it. But yeah, I, I, I highly recommend it. It's a very good book. That sounds good. All right. Back to me, I guess. Mm. Yeah, go for it. All right. I guess first off, Aaron, how would you classify like dystopian books? Like, are they their own thing or are they part of like the sci-fi genre? I, in general, would count them as sci-fi. I mean, they probably could be their own thing, but, like, most of the dystopian ones that I'm aware of, it's like, it was Earth at one point, and then things got messed up from something or another, and usually that something or another is something science-related. Like, even, I think we even right. we even talked about, like, uh, Adventure Time, how, like, that's like a dystopian future world that, like, Apparently it's like Earth after it's been bombed to pieces or whatever. But anyway, <laughs> so I I would qualify them as at their root though as as sci-fi. All right, Adam and I were just discussing this last night because I was thinking of books like The Hunger Games and um, A Handmaid's Tale and just a whole bunch of these different where it's like this alternate future, but there's not necessarily like I guess Hunger Games a little more, Handmaid's Tale a little not, but like this other technology and this extra science. It's just more of like an alternative future of like yeah if they had someone in, anyway yeah there's there's definitely a spectrum there I I, I yeah. agree with you but like me personally I would count Hunger Games as a sci-fi novel or a series right. or whatever if you ask me personally well it's on my list but once again it's I feel like you've talked about it before because it's it, it's really good especially you know they did a good movie version probably because they had the author involved. Anyway. Yeah. And I don't, don't want to discourage you from talking about something <laughs> just because it's been mentioned on the show before. Because like, no. if, you, if, if you think it was cool, like, let's talk about it. I want to I want to hear your perspective too. So Right. Well, now I've got myself in a pickle. I brought all that up, not planning on talking about them. But now I, now I want to say. <laughs> Sorry. You don't, you don't, you don't <coughs> use up your turn. How's that? 
<laughs> Sorry. Oh man, I'm getting over a cold. I just like everything that makes me laugh makes me cough. Oh no, sorry. <clears throat> no, it's okay. Anyway, I just want to say about Hunger Games, and this is a spoiler. So if you've been living under a rock and you haven't read the books and you haven't seen the movies, <laughs> the whole premise is that there's this girl named Katniss Everdeen who volunteers to enter into this battle royale in order to save her little sister because her little sister's name was called. And at the end of this amazing trilogy of this heart-wrenching story, spoiler again, her little sister dies. She dies anyway after all of this that Katniss has gone through and after all of this like wars that have been fought and Katniss has become this uh, emblem for, for the rebels and like everything that has happened. She didn't want any of that. She only did all of it to save her sister. And in the end, her sister dies anyway. And like that was like the most heart-wrenching twist to a book I have ever read because it's just yeah. like, what What was the point? What was the point of her going through all of this? And it was just, ah, oh, got me right in the feels. And Yeah, well, that was a rough, anyway. that was a rough, rough turn in the books. I remember. Oh, man. Because <laughs> people talk all the time about Katniss and about like her love triangle and stuff, but I don't think people talk enough about what happened with her sister. And like, that was the point of the entire series. Like that, it, it wouldn't have happened without her. And oh, it just, yeah, it gets me. Anyway, sorry, Adam, do you want to count that as my turn? No, go ahead. Go another one. Let's hear another one. I want to hear another one. Carry on. Let's have more. Sorry. Okay, the one that I did want to talk about next was Ender's Game. Also on my list. Oh, yeah. Ender's Game is such a great book. Have you read that one, Aaron? Yes, it's on my honorable mentions list here for sure. Okay. Um, Ender's Game is such a good book. So it's, um, there's a whole universe. Uh, There's, how many books, Adam? Do you know? Like 15 Um, at this point or something like that? There's two quadrilogies and then there's some books that tie them together there's three four more so like 12 ish they should have called it never enders game Uh, (laughs) i'll I'll see myself out (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so i have read um the two quadrilogies is that a real word? I think so. That sounds so silly. I, I like it. it. I like I it. Even if it's like not it real, I like it. <laughs> Two, anyway. It's not trilogies. It's four. So it's got to be quadrilogies. I like it. Anyway, I have read the two quadrilogies. The first one follows Ender Wiggins. And then the second one is like a parallel quadrilogy. <laughs> it just sounds so made up now. Anyway, that follows another character uh, through the same timeline. Anyway. Um, I just want to talk about the very first book, though, because it is my absolute favorite. I have reread it so many times. The plot of Ender's Game is humanity has mastered interplanetary spaceflight, and they have encountered an insect-like alien race that they call the Formics, and a war breaks out, and the humans barely survive. Um, It's like luck that they manage to defeat them. However, they're still out there, and fearing future threats, the humans create the International Fleet or IF, and they train gifted children to become commanders at this orbiting space station called Battle School. And so the book follows Ender, who is a third child. There's like strict population control going on. And so nobody's allowed to have more than two kids. But this one couple, they have two very promising children that just aren't quite what the international fleet's looking for. So they grant them permission to have a third kid. And that's Ender. And he's just a little kid. Like, like I think he's only six at the beginning of the book series. But children are very creative. They don't have these set ways of thinking yet, which is why they're trying to train kids to be their commanders because they have just such a creative way of thinking and of approaching problems. And so the first book follows Ender from when he gets recruited into battle school through when he graduates uh, at the age of 10, I think, and he's able to go and he's able to lead the armies. Well, before that, it's just... uh, the way that battle school works is it's mostly this game room where it's zero gravity and the students, these children are put into these different armies and they have a commander and they go in and they need to defeat the other army and they need to capture the other army's gate. And the the adults in Ender's life purposely isolate him and they put him into difficult situations where he has to be so creative in how he approaches things and how he gets out of trouble and how he just rewrites the battle school like he turns everything up on its head because he says why do i have to do it that way and he just it's such a good book it um 
It's got a lot of action that you just really like you see it in your mind. It's just really fun to imagine this battle room. They did turn it into a movie, which I feel they didn't do as good a job as I was hoping. I feel that way about a lot of movies, though. Anyway, but um, so the first book has a lot of action and it's just really interesting. And there's so many good relationships. And the rest of the book series is a lot more philosophical and are really enjoyable reads. But that first book where it's just this kid who's put into like the most difficult situations and how he pushes through and rises above. And even with all the adults in his life trying to make things difficult, he still forms friendships and he still makes these connections. And it's just a fun read and it's so enjoyable. What would you like to add? Oh, Um, I just want to add about the second book, Speaker for the Dead. Also, Orson Scott Card won back-to-back Hugo's so the Hugo is the award for science fiction and fantasy fiction, like usually novels. That's the big one that they that they that you hear about. And there's one award every year for the best science fiction or fantasy novel that year. And Orson Scott Card won back to back years for Ender's Game and the next book, which is called Speaker for the Dead, because they're that good. And I just I really I really like Speaker for the Dead because it it gives you a different perspective on death and on funerals even like it's changed the way I approach when I go to a funeral and how I look and how I want my own funeral someday to be conducted because it's it's a he calls it a speaking um in the book or uh basically you have a speaker come and he doesn't he or she does not just say all the good things about someone he just tells it like it is this is what this person's life was like here's what they it doesn't doesn't editorialize or say they were such an amazing person and they did all these wonderful things just says here's the things they did draw your own conclusions and i really like that about being very open honest about someone because i feel like so often when when someone dies we we tend to whitewash over all of the the things that maybe made them human um their flaws and uh, i really like that that came out from the book um, from the speaker for the dead but yeah both really good books great series i love i love the ender series yeah for sure very very good um as a side note i really quickly googled what a four book group is called <laughs> and, and the main terminology for that is a tetralogy what <laughs> what which i don't no. love that that's... one's definitely made up but apparently so that's using more of the <laughs> greek uh prefix but quadrilogy is becoming more common probably because hey. it sounds right. better it sounds it better. It Way better. Anyway. Well, I'm going I'm to keep calling them quadrilogies. Though. I am too. That's better. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you wanted to add about Ender's Game? No, you guys covered it. Yeah, I, I have not seen the movie. But yeah, no, I thought it was uh, such a good story. And yeah, really, I just it was, one of those, it was one of those stories that sucked me in very quickly. Sometimes, you know, you start a book and you're like, oh, I'll mm-hmm. give it a little bit of time. And then it grabs yeah. you. But I feel like Ender's Game was like, from the first couple pages, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> this is going to be good. <laughs> it is. It's really Really good. And as Kristen mentioned, some of those other books are a little more philosophical. They're a little harder to get into sometimes and 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 get through them, but they're worth it, I think, if you if you can buckle down and get get through them. Yeah. Um next one I want to talk about is called Hyperion or Hyperion. It's by Dan Simmons. It was released in 1990. Um, and it's actually part of four books, another quadrilogy. Uh, another quadrilogy I like it. of books. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the first book that, that he released in this. He calls them the Hyperion Cantos or Cantos. Sorry. Sorry. I just, um, we need to pause. We have a, a, mile. a daughter just showed up. So you can carry on. <laughs> Kristen's going to go deal with that. And I will carry on with the Hyperion part. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> okay. I'll just kind of start over. So, no, I won't. I won't start over. I'll just carry on from... <sighs> Maybe I do. I have no idea what I was saying before. Okay, I'm going to start over, Aaron. <laughs> we got the... That's, we got the, that's quad- the beauty of We got the, the quadrilogy editing, right? and everything broke down. <laughs> I know. All of a sudden, there's a little kid right in front of us. Like, oh, where did you come from? This is why I edit. <laughs> All Excellent. good. Excellent. Okay, well, the next one I want to talk about is called Hyperion. Uh, Hyperion. Uh, it's by Dan Simmons. It was uh, released in 1990, and it's a part of another quadrilogy called, he calls them the Hyperion Cantos, or Cantos. And again, received the Hugo Award. I've noticed kind of a theme with some of the books that I've that I've chosen as favorites that a lot of people thought they were pretty good. So I think that you can take some recommendations, listener. Yeah, there you go. Um, but anyway, the, the Hyperion... First, first Hyperion novel is structured as what's called a frame story. So it's similar to Geoffrey Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, where it's 
several interlocking tales of a group of people. And in this book, it's this group of travelers who are sent on a pilgrimage to what are called the time tombs on Hyperion. And the time tombs are this anomaly that that science hasn't quite been able to explain where time is moving backwards in this area. And they've been sent on a pilgrimage by the Church of the Final Atonement, also known as the Shrike Church, and the Hegemony, um, which is the government of the human star systems, to make a request of the Shrike. And the Shrike is this metallic creature with multiple spikes jutting out all over its body. It sounds actually quite fearsome and scary when it's described. Um, but the Shrike supposedly will grant one wish to one of the members of a pilgrimage. Not all of them, but one of them. And as they go through the journey, every every chapter is a long is a long chapter, and it's it, each traveler tells their tale and. Each tale is distinct and it's about their history and kind of goes through. And the, and the end of the book uh, uh, happens when they arrive at the time tombs and that's where it cuts off. You basically like, ah, what's going to happen next? You have to read the next book. Um, <laughs> but uh, and it actually I actually did have an update, Aaron, because this is a callback to your birds episode. Favorite birds episode. Oh, yeah. The we reason never get why, too far away from that one. <laughs> because the Shrike uh, is supposed to be a reference to the bird called the loggerhead Shrike, which is a North American bird with, that looks cute and cuddly. But apparently like it's a like a perching bird, like a sparrow or a parakeet, kind of the, oh, the way yeah. it kind of perches on a and it's not big, but it's a predatory bird. And because it's so small and it has weak talons, what it does, it relies on impaling its prey upon thorns or barbed wire for consumption. Ooh, it's <laughs> It looks Jeez. cute and cuddly, but it is not cute and cuddly. And so the Shrike is kind of based on that, or the name at least is based on that bird because there's a reference to this tree of thorns and everything too. That is intense, so. <laughs> man. Jeez. I just walked back in at the worst moment. <laughs> It's <laughs> oh, funny. <laughs> so anyway, uh, but the Hi- Hyperion series is fantastic. It's set in the far, far, far distant future um, technology that we can't imagine. But what I really think is is cool is it seems like it's fantasy at some point, but it actually you'll as you as you get more into it, you realize that it is more science fictiony, but. There's always that blurring of lines of what is fantasy and what's science fiction, right? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Hyperion, Dan Simmons, it's a good one. Nice. Yeah, I have not read that. I'll have to check it out. The last one I want to mention, and that's not to say you guys need to wrap up, but I just <laughs> I had these couple on my list. The last ones I want to mention is actually a, a set of three books that that I really enjoyed when I was younger. They're Star Wars books, actually. Tales of the Moss Eisley Cantina, Tales of Jabba's Palace, and Tales of the Bounty Hunters. <laughs> Do you guys remember those? Kristen, Kristen has, has them right here. With I have them sitting in front of me on yes, the desk right now. The, yeah, that's, that's wonderful news. <laughs> So it actually was a series of five books. There was Tales of the or Tales from the Empire and Tales from the New Republic, which I never I didn't ever see those. I never read those ones. But those other three, they are anthologies. I have not read these since I was since I was younger, but these were published between 1995 and 1999, and each book is an anthology where each of the stories within these are written by a different author. Or maybe I guess maybe sometimes there was another author. Yes, Kristen just you just texted me the picture. There they are. These are probably the same ones I read because yeah yeah I I bought these from Nolan at a yard sale for like fifty cents each. Nice. <laughs> Nolan made you pay for them. No, I mean, that's, <laughs> no. So so these stories are really cool. So we talked about recently it was our anime episode or something we had talked about star wars visions which is on disney plus right now all these cool like anthology stories where like every every story has a different director and different production studio that's telling these cool star wars stories and these animated art forms this is what that was back before we had like disney plus and things like that we had books and uh i believe this these came out uh prior to or maybe in conjunction with in some of the books cases uh the special edition re-releases in theaters which was the first time we saw star wars in the theater and it was a uh spiritual experience i feel confident saying <laughs> yep. so basically yeah these these cool anthology stories as the titles suggest cover little background stories about people that you see in these different places so for example tales tales from the mos eisley cantina there are stories about all of these different characters that you see right in episode four when they go into the cantina and they're they all these shots of just all these wild aliens all these bizarre people and we they go through and tell rel- relatively short stories i mean some of these are 
you know, 15-ish pages long. You know, none of these are like big, long, epic stories. But it's like background stuff or little flavor things. So there's there's a story about the band, right? The Max Rebo band. There's a story about Greedo. There's a story about uh, the Hammerhead guy. There's a tale about the bartender. Like, it just goes through all these people. There's one about some Jawas. There's the one about some of the stormtroopers that are posted there. Ponda Baba. Like, all these different characters. And then likewise for the other, the other stories, uh, the Bounty Hunters tales, right? Empire Strikes Back, you see Boba Fett is the main guy, but then there's like IG-88 and like these other bounty hunters that are there. And these books were so much fun to get this little glimpse in the background, right? We saw them in the movies. We played with their action figures, but it was like, what's IG-88's deal? Like, where'd he come from? Like, he's an assassin droid, but like, we don't really learn about him in, in the movies, the core movies, right? And this was a chance to kind of get that peek behind the curtain or a little extra flavor of like, what is going on? Of course, these books are now classified as Star Wars Legends or whatever the whatever the term is, where like they're, yeah. they're non-canon, whatever, <laughs> I, I, you know, whatever. But I, I honestly feel like these stories kind of did lay a foundation to allow us to have things like Star Wars Visions right now. And even just like some of the Star Wars TV shows we have right now that, again, are getting into more side stories of like, you know, what happened to Boba Fett? And what happened to, you know, what was going on on this planet at this time and what happened between these two movies. And I love stuff like that. I love hearing a little bit more about about what happened there. Well, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that that is it Book of Boba Fett that we see Boba Fett. No, we see it in Book of Fett. Oh, yeah. 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 Book of Boba Fett. I can't remember which show. Is it Boba Fett or is it in the Mandalorian? We see him for the first time. It's it's. It's like well, Mandalorian 2.5, right? We see him five, in Mandalorian, right? <laughs> but then we see him get out of the How Sarlacc he gets out of the pit, pit, which comes straight from that book. It did. It yeah. comes oh straight gosh. from that book. So even though it's Legends, it's technically yeah. totally inspired it. Yeah. I would like to reread these, and I don't have a copy, but again, it's the same sort of thing that I'm sure I could go to whatever used bookstore and find a, a you know, or, or go to my brother's yard sale, apparently. Yeah. So. <laughs> I I just remember when Nolan was selling them, I'm like, what are you doing? You can't sell these. <laughs> and, I, and I think I bought every single Star Wars book that he had. That's great. I love it. But oh, yes, man. I agree. Those were my favorites. I loved rereading those over and over, especially certain characters like Ula, the Twi'lek dancer. She was so interesting to read mm-hmm. about. Or like the monks, like, did you realize Jabba's palace was actually like a monastery and those like creepy spider robot things? Like those were the monks, their brains were in. Anyway, it's like all those backstories that nobody needs. There was a story about Salacious Crumb, wasn't there? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That guy. Oh, man. If uh, if it's gibberish, yeah. if all of these names we're saying right now are gibberish to you, I apologize. But <laughs> it's it's just fun to get this little backstory. Like you said, nobody really needs it, but it's just it's fun. I really they're like fun. it. Fun. Oh, they're so fun. Anyway, that's all I had to say about that one. I, those ones, I should say. I should find the other two that I never read and check them out. Maybe they're maybe they're really good too. Well, Kristen just showed me the one because those are edited by someone, and then the stories are written by different authors, like you mentioned. Yeah, and one of them is Timothy Zahn, and. I, Honorable mention all of his original uh, was it Dark Force Rising and Heir to the, Heir to the, Empire. Heir to the Empire. Oh yeah, his, his Thrawn novels that Thrawn was then legacy. Dang it! But now he's canon again with the new with the Mandalorian and yeah. Boba Fett. Oh, that's stories. right. So, that's right. He's he's I'm back now. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he wrote Mara Jade's tale, which. I guess I'm I'm just down to kind of honorable mentions. Like I have little blurbs I could say, but yeah, I I don't have any more books I could go in depth on. How about you, Adam? Oh, I've got way more than I. Could <laughs> I won't. But I've got a couple more that I maybe I want to. No, wanna... no. If you, if you want to share some more, go for it. Yeah, like I like I said, I'm I'm down now to honorable mentions. But if you got more to share, go for it, please. I mean, let's be real. Me and Dad talked about <laughs> country music for almost the longest episode ever. So you can you can point. share your sci-fi novels, and it was delightful. <laughs> And it was oh, good. I was, I, I was like, because we, we prefaced the whole thing of like, well, I like country. Dad likes country. Who else does? So, <laughs> so I was I was a little worried people would be like, see the title and be like, country? Skip. So I'm glad, <laughs> no. I'm glad you enjoyed well, it. <laughs> I don't yes. think any any real listener of the favorite show is going to skip an episode. That's yeah. my opinion. Who Not even about rocks. Not even about rocks or bugs. <laughs> or birds. Uh, love birds. them all. Because birds keeps coming back. I tell you what. I know. That's, that's the episode that keeps giving. Um, what I want to mention just briefly and not talk too much about, but uh, it's called A Princess of Mars by Edgar Rice Burroughs, and it came out in 1912. And it is the first John Carter novel. 
So I don't know if you've uh, seen the John Carter movie or heard about John Carter stories. He also wrote the Tarzan books, um, same author, but he wrote John Carter back in 1912, and it is probably one of the first real science fiction books. I mean, I think Frankenstein's considered the first one, but one of the very first real science fiction books, and it laid the groundwork and influenced so much in in science fiction later on, like influences on Buck Rogers and and Superman and Star Wars and Avatar, the James Cameron one, Dune. There's so many uh, of science fiction works later that draw on influences from the John Carter books. And it's really... It's just a fun book. It's really an easy read. It's a fast read. You can read it in a, a day or two. And it's just enjoyable. And it's silly because you know that the science, quote unquote, science in it is total bunk. Because uh, <laughs> he basically, he manages to somehow teleport from Earth to Mars back in like the, uh, I want to say it's like in the 18. 18- 60s Civil War times, and he transports to Mars somehow. And because of the differing gravity between Earth and Mars, he's way stronger and he can jump higher, like Superman, than all the other, uh, all the Martians. And so he's like this, he is like this Superman. And so he's like a superhero there. And uh, um, anyway, it's just a fun book. And I just love that it has, as you read it, you're like, oh yeah, I can see how that would have influenced this or that. Um, There's a fun uh, graphic novel version that is pretty enjoyable. Uh, the graphic novel format really lends itself well to the to the science fiction. For sure. I dig it. So, so that's one. Um, and then another one I, I want to talk a little more in depth is called uh, The Expanse. Um, and The Expanse is relatively recent. Um, it's a work by two authors, and I don't remember their names, but they, their pen name is James S.A. Corey. And, and they write the book together, the books together, I guess. And there's a series of, I believe, nine now, and with several short stories in between uh, the novels. And it covers a timeline of like 40, 50 years, something like that. It's, it's, a, it's a big timeline. And the very first book, uh, it, it starts out with this. We, we've been living in the belt, the asteroid belt, um, and we've been living on Mars. We've terraformed parts of Mars and we're still living on Earth, but Earth is really full, and it's not that it's not that great. And people have just adapted to life in space, and they've adapted to life on Mars. And there's these different—I I, want to say countries, but it's not. It's worlds. These different world governments that kind of there's always this tension of: Are they going to destroy each other? Are we going to? Are they going to bomb Earth? Are they going to bomb Mars? Are they going to uh, destroy the belt? And uh, it there's this. Uh, at the very beginning, there's this mystery that kind of happens of someone blows up a ship and no one knows who de- did it and everyone's blaming each other. And there's a worry of this this interstellar war and there's aliens involved and it's really cool. I just love the series. It's very, very well written. Um, probably one of my favorite science fiction series I've read of all time. And uh, the first book is called Leviathan Wakes. Highly recommend it. If you've seen the Amazon Prime series, it's pretty faithful to the books, although it kind of compresses some timelines. Also really good. I like to think of it as two separate things, one the the TV show and then the the book series, but both (laughs) really fantastic. And uh, I would recommend the books first, of course. And then the show. <laughs> but again, I said it before, as another Hugo Award winner, um, Leviathan Wakes. So I think I want to say that there was a second book in the series that also got the Hugo. But really, really good books. Those are probably the only ones I want to go in depth on at this point. All right. Cool. Well, this is a good list, and I definitely have a lot to go and uh, add to my add to my library checkout list for sure. I gotta go get a mm-hmm. listen listen to and read some of these guys, and uh, yeah, it's gonna keep you busy for a while. Because that's the other thing is some of these <laughs> books. It's like it's not just a standalone book. Well, now there's four of them. There's a quadrilogy here. <laughs> exactly. But that's all right. What that's you, all what good. What do you call eight? What do you call eight books? The internet Oct- can tell Octology? us. Octet. I bet. I bet it is. Yeah, an octology. <laughs> a bunch. <laughs> a bunch of books. A bunch, a whole of bunch of books. I want to say John Carter books. There's like 13 or something or something ridiculous. Nice. He just wrote so many of those. Same with the Tarzan books. Not science fiction. <laughs> right. Also a fun series. Nice. All right. Well, 
I guess this is probably a good spot to wrap it up. But uh, Kristen, Adam, thank you both so much for for jumping in and joining. This was great. You guys had a lot of uh, great insights to share here. Thanks. This has been really fun. I, I This is our first time recording together. I don't know if it's been like this for you and Stephanie or for like Shannon and Alex. But like all the time, like you would say something and Adam and I would like give each other a look like, what? <laughs> or like, oh, that sounds like... It's, it's really funny being in the same room as someone recording, and it's just been delightful. I remember fun. a while back, I can't remember how long ago it was, but at least a year ago, that Sean was in town, and he was in the same room as me, and we were both like, this is weird, what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm reading my, my thing, the intro and the outro, and Sean's watching me, and I was like, I feel self-conscious all of a sudden. <laughs> Get a little stage fright. I, I did, yes. It was, it was funny. Oh, man. <laughs> well, I guess we can go ahead and wrap it up then. But as usual, we want to hear what you think. Send us an email at thefavoriteshow at gmail.com. Look us up on Instagram at thefavoriteshowpodcast. Let us know your favorite sci-fi novels or even short stories for that matter. But yeah, sci-fi novels, there's so many great great ones out there. We want to hear what your favorites are. Also, let us know if you have suggestions for future topics or guests or whatever. Like I said, this was one that was suggested by Adam once upon a time. So we, uh, we're we getting to them. If you suggested it, we're trying to check it off the list. Keep them, keep them coming. Uh, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And we'd love a five-star rating if you like what you hear and if you don't feel like giving us a five-star rating it's probably because you're still trying to figure out who panda baba is or like <laughs> like he, aaron said max rebo who the heck is he max doesn't rebo? like you <laughs> i don't like you either. or maybe or maybe you have a different term for quadrilogy that could be it so there's tetralogy quadrilogy there's a four tuple i don't i don't know anyway sorry for bringing up all the obscure references i apologize please don't hold it against us we'd love five stars anyway <laughs> Uh, well, I guess that'll do it until next week. My name's Aaron. Adam here. And I'm Kristen. Talk to y'all later. Bye. Cue the music. Uh, so let's see honorable mentions for me I had Star Wars Shadows of the Empire on my list that was a really good mm, book that's a good one Star Wars I have the courtship of Princess Leia that's where we get introduced to the witches of Dathomir and yeah. more sassy headstrong Leia <laughs> combined with sassy headstrong Han and it's a fun fun read yeah that's a good one I wanted to mention Frankenstein by Mary Shelley written in 1818 she wrote that when she was only 18 years old wow did you know that that's crazy Easy. That is wild. And then The Time Machine by H.G. Wells, A Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood, and Dangerous by Shannon Hale. I've got the Thrawn series. There's a couple of them, actually. My favorite is the one uh, in 2017 that he released. I think it's a two-book series, and he has another, like, two other trilogies about Grand Admiral Thrawn from Star Wars. That's uh, Timothy Zahn. And then uh, two books that are similar, but kind of different tone. One's called The Forever War, written by Joe Haldeman in 1974 deals with time travel, time dilation, where basically someone is uh, living a really long time in terms of actual years because he's traveling at near the speed of light. And then Old Man's War by John Scalzi, which is a little more recent, but more of a, not lighthearted, but more of a more optimistic look at war with another alien race. But Old Man's War is really cool because they only recruit old people from Earth, like 80s, and then they put their brain into a brand new body. They kind of transfer their consciousness into a new, really awesome, enhanced body that can be, and they're all soldiers. So that's why it's called Old Man's War. And then uh, one that's been mentioned, Skyward by Brandon Sanderson. Love that one. Love that series. Nice. Contact, Red Rising, and then I also have have to shout out to Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? That story is so good. So weird. And was an influence for Ender's Game. Was Was it? it? I know that was basically Blade Runner too. Maybe I've got it mixed up. (laughs) Probably got it backwards. (laughs) It was also an influence for Blade Runner. (laughs) Oh, really? <laughs> okay, edit, edit that right in. Absolutely. Perfect. Uh, yep, I just looked it up. I had it backwards. Sorry. <laughs>